Hey, Lexi, I hope you're not tired of wrestling just yet, because I've got another show from 1998 for us to watch. But this one comes with the added bonus that I was there, live in the crowd. How does that sound? Sounds good. Then let's get the conversation started. Hello and welcome to Lexicon. I am Maddie, along with... Lexi. Dylan. And today we're going to be watching an episode of World Championship Wrestling's Thunder from April 22nd, 1998. Meaning that, on the day this podcast goes up, we are just eight days past its 25th anniversary. Now, for those that weren't wrestling fans at the time, World Championship Wrestling, which grew out of the ashes of Jim Crockett Promotions to be the last national competition for the WWF, now the WWE, and I'll warn you, I will use the abbreviation interchangeably, uh, debuted Thunder on Thursday, January 8th, 1998, on TBS to be its secondary show, following up the flagship program Monday Nitro on TNT, which ran head-to-head with the WWE's WWF at the time, and again, I'm going to use them interchangeably, Monday Night Raw. Uh, WCW was at the end of its year-plus run as the number one wrestling promotion in the U.S., as evidenced by the fact that the Raw from the week before this Thunder, which we watched on the last episode of the show, had beaten Nitro in the ratings, ending Nitro's 83-week ratings win streak. Now, the Thunder we're going to watch wasn't particularly remarkable. The most notable thing that happened was Marcus Buff Bagwell suffering a serious neck injury when a Rick Steiner bulldog went awry, but we'll get there. But it's a memorable show just for the fact that my dad and I were there live, but... Since it probably didn't make the Best of Thunder DVD collection, then unless you happen to have a personal recorded VHS copy, which I'm not even sure if I have one of those anymore, uh, you're probably going to be watching on Peacock, as we are. Uh, If so, you'll want to go to WWE, then the WCW section, find Thunder, Season 1, Episode 15. Uh, However you're watching, make sure you're all zeroed out so that when we press play, we'll go right into the show with no ads or other ephemera first. And if you're not watching along, no worries, we'll do our best to be just as entertaining without visuals. So I'm going to count down three, two, one, play, and we'll all start on play. So does that sound good? Y'all got anything you want to throw in before we actually start? Yeah, I think we're good. All right, then. Well, on that note, let's get ready to start the April 22nd, 1998 edition of Thunder, which is Season 1, Episode 15, in three, two, one, play. And so it begins. With music. music. No, no, it's just generic, late 90s sports show entrance rock. Did kind of bring back all the feels when I was watching this, though, getting ready for the show. All right, now I want y'all to take a look at this intro that features, like, a Hollywood sign, uh, and it has images of the various wrestlers on. You see, like, Luger, uh, Scott Hall, rest in peace, Scott Hall. Big Show choke slamming an unnamed luchador. I'm sure he had a name, but I don't remember what it was. But anyway, what do y'all think of this intro compared to the Raw intro that we saw in the last episode we did? It's interesting. Definitely very different. Better or worse? Uh, I'm not sure without looking back at the other mm-hmm. one. I think no I might like the Raw one better. I think the Raw one is by far and away better than this. This is yeah. very generic. I mean, it gets the yeah. job done, and there's nothing wrong with it, but the Raw one is much more memorable, much more uh, yeah. thought out. Yeah. Definitely. Strikes you with the the post-apocalyptic warehouse brawl compared yeah. to just, oh, generic shots of wrestlers <laughs> in the title. Look at those wrestlers. That's the, the ring announcer. I was going to say, I don't see any wrestlers. And, and, and the pyro. No, I'm saying that, 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 that's what the intro is. Oh, that's what the intro is. Is it looking at the wrestlers? We've got uh, Lee Marshall, Tony Schiavone, and Bobby Heenan at the desks, the commentators. You won't hear any of them, of course, because we're going to be talking. Yes. Uh, we do have our closed captioning on to, to, to catch what they're saying. Uh, if y'all don't realize, Lee Marshall was the voice of Tony the Tiger. Okay. Not not the original. I did he, not know he, that. Took, he took over for the original. I did not know that. I didn't know He's not the voice that. anymore because I believe Lee's deceased. So if I'm correct, RIP Lee. And if not, I apologize for <laughs> killing you off. <laughs> Metaphorically. Imagine Tony the Tiger commentating wrestling. No, thank you. 
Uh, well, watch this show, and you're going to pretty much get that. I mean, Lee, he's he, his body slam the guy. That's great. Yeah, he doesn't really say the great, but I mean, his, he, I don't think he had to modify his voice much. He's got that, well, Tony, it's good to be here. Wait, we've got all this great action today, and he's got that, that deep baritone. That announcer voice. And of course, I remember when Tony uh, the Tiger did live stream. I think he played Fortnite. No, I don't. People. <clears throat> yeah, his and his PC was milk cooled. I think. Oh God. That doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I don't think it was an actual PC. He yeah, no, I don't think it really. I understand. Wow, really? Thanks. I get yeah. that it was a joke, but I'm just saying in context. If you were really to do that, I don't think. Yeah. We're doing a bit here, man. Come on. <laughs> Map had did a whole game, a f- food day on it. Oh God. I bet the. I'm about to walk out now. Say was style, that the milk would Say not style theory it. and I'll punch you. I swear I will. No, this is right before then. I, I do want to point out really quickly uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, the other commentator, he is uh, deceased, passed away in 2016. R.I.P. Bobby. One of the all time greats. No disrespect to Tony or Lee, but Bobby, one of the best wrestling performers all around in the history of the sport. Speaking of gaming food, what, what happened to the calf console? Is, is it dead? I have no idea what's going on with that, honestly. I don't even know what that is. You don't remember the KF console? No. Oh, my God. I apologize. KFC console. I kind of figured that. You could put chicken chicken. in it. You sure that wasn't like an April Fool's joke? It was supposedly a real thing? Yeah, I was pretty sure they didn't even do it on Could be a real April Fool's joke. I don't... That's why it's funny. Yeah, I don't think it was on (laughs) Yeah, the and they, they like did this whole thing about it being a thing, and then we haven't heard about it in a while. But I feel as though it's still more me- real than the Minecraft movie. And, I mean, it's got another release date. Yes, Not and they'll probably one. get another when we, as we get closer to that one. No, after we reach that release date. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Literally, it's supposed to come out, and it's like nothing. Yeah, nothing at all. Acknowledge okay. it. And we have people entering the ring now. Yeah, Hollywood Hogan carrying the uh, the big gold belt, the belt that was the last NWA championship for a long time, and the belt for the WCW World Championship, even once it carried over into the WWE once they purchased WCW. And a hole in the belt now is Ed Leslie, a.k.a. Brutus Beefcake, a.k.a. The Butcher, a.k.a. The Disciple, and the uh, Ken Doll-looking fellas, Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Kendall looking fella. Uh, what do you guys think about Hulk Hogan in general? I don't. I don't know much of y'all's opinion Man. on the man and the myth, the legend, the he's character. Hulk Hogan. I mean, he is, he's iconic, but, but exactly. Meh. I mean, I wasn't agreeing with the meta part, but I was agreeing. He's like with the, the Superman of wrestling. <laughs> Comboing, <laughs> but iconic. Superman. I was never a big Hulk Hogan fan personally. I, I did have the Hulk Hogan uh, wrestling. I would call it an action figure, but it was it didn't actually move. I think it was somewhat bendable. It was this like really heavy rubber, mm-hmm. and they were they were large, like maybe the same height as Barbie dolls, but obviously much more Muscle. muscly and much thicker. Yeah. And I wasn't even a wrestling fan at the time I got it, and I remember my dad questioning me like, uh, "Are you sure you want to get that?" I think I think we were on vacation in Wisconsin at the time. I think I got it <laughs> at one of the so called dime stores at downtown Boscobel. Uh-huh. But whether or not it was there, I do distinctly remember him asking whether or not I really wanted it. And I don't know if he was questioning me because I wasn't a wrestling fan or because he just wasn't a fan of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and being somebody who grew up on Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling and was a fan of you know JCP and, and Ricky Seamboat and Ric Flair, I can certainly believe that that's true. But regardless, he did let me get it. And then when I actually got into wrestling in uh, 90, 91... I was a WCW fan first, so I didn't see a ton of Hulk Hogan. They painted the belt. And then he had uh, regained the... Royal Wrestling Federation Championship from the Ultimate Warrior mm-hmm. at WrestleMania in 91. And I did cheer for him 
Did I say he regained it from the Ultimate Warrior? I believe so. I didn't mean to say Ultimate had he had been the one to, to beat Hogan at WrestleMania uh-huh. in 1990. He, he had almost a year-long run with the belt until Sergeant Slaughter doing the Iraqi sympathizer gimmick won it from the Ultimate Warrior with an assist from Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah! And then Hogan won it back from Sergeant Slaughter at WrestleMania. Ah. But then he and Ultimate Warrior teamed up against Sergeant Slaughter and the Iron Sheik in the role of um, Colonel Mustafa and uh, General Adnan, the Iraqi sympathizer group. And I did pull for Hulk Hogan during that match. But after that, I wasn't that into him. And by the time we got to the Royal Rumble in 92, when he got eliminated, he started complaining that to Sid Justin, you stole my title because Sid had eliminated him when it's every man for himself. Mm-hmm. And he just came off like a, a spoiled, entitled baby. I was kind of done with Hogan. <laughs> and I mean, to be fair, his in-ring work was never great. I mean, he was a really good worker. Uh-huh. But as far as an in-ring technician, especially in the U.S., his work was never really up to snuff. And I was getting into guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair, and he couldn't hold a candle to them. And I mean, he legitimately was one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling. He was a huge part of the WWF's expansion in the 80s, and he was a big part of bringing WCW to prominence in the mid-90s. And his heel turn as part of the NWO was a big part of all that, but... You know, at the same time, I feel like his overly inflated contract and the creative control he had and just his real subpar work was a big part of the decline of WCW as well. And, and in fact, when he came to WCW in 94, it really started, uh, really started to turn me off to the product because just the, the hokiness and, and, the, and the, the fake style that he brought with him mm-hmm. sort of took WCW down a notch to me and I started gravitating more toward the WWF at the time. Mm-hmm. And again, he was valuable to WCW at one point, but by the time we're watching now, in uh, early 98, that, that star power and that value he brought was really starting to decline. He was the rise and the fall. He was a big part of it. I mean, he wasn't completely in charge of creative. I think a yeah. big part of WCW's problem was their one big idea was the NWO, the faux invasion angle. It mm-hmm. started when Scott Hall came over from the WWF soon to be joined by Kevin Nash and then Hogan turned heel to complete the then trio, which would then grow to be this huge group of wrestlers, most of which didn't really mean that much, unfortunately. But they didn't seem to really have any plan on how to either end it or transition into the next phase. And and they had this year and a half long storyline with Sting being up in the rafters and wanting a shot at Hogan. Then when he finally got the shot at Starcade, they ended up botching the finish. And, you know, Eric Bischoff said it's because Sting came in out of shape or not tanned enough. Oh, and they went with the, this convoluted gimmick finish where there was supposed to be a fast count and Bret Hart was going to come out fresh off the Montreal screw job and say, I know what it's like to be screwed by a referee. We're restarting this. But the referee didn't do a fast count. And a lot of people said Hogan got in his ear and said, hey, brother, that's not what we're doing. We're doing the fast count. And, and the referee's like, hey, I know who really called the shots around here. I'm listening to him. But whatever the reason, they ended up sort of botching it. And Sting would finally get the title back at Super Brawl, which was the February pay-per-view a couple months after Starcade, mm-hmm. and a couple months before this. But then his by then his title reign didn't really mean much. Yeah. And you see two months later Hogan's got the belt back. Sting had actually lost the belt to um Randy Savage at the Spring Stampede pay per view, mm-hmm. which was uh three days before this on April nineteenth. Mm-hmm. So your birthday, just yeah. three years before you were born. Yeah. And I think my- I saw that there was like a smackdown or something on the day I was born. A negative the birthday. Yeah, I guess you were born on a Thursday. Uh, yeah. Yeah, if, it was. If there was a smack, if there was a SmackDown, you were born on Thursday. I mean, SmackDown has gone back and forth between Thursday and Friday, but that would and have I been was born on Thursday. that would have been the first full year of SmackDown. Oh no, no, no! SmackDown would have started in '99, so it would have been the second yeah. full year. Yeah, I do not know. It started, know fall, it started late summer, early fall of '99, but it was still on Thursdays. I know we almost make a week. But yeah, Savage had won the world championship 
on the pay-per-view and then promptly lost it the next night to Hulk Hogan. Wow. So, so after that year and a half long buildup of Sting being the challenger, the guy to finally unseat Hulk Hogan. He got it right back. Four months later, the belt's back on Hogan. Yeah. It's like we're just restarting. Um, speaking of restarts, reboots, the NWO had actually split up on the Nitro mm-hmm. before this. And they would become NWO Hollywood or NWO Black and White led by Hulk Hogan. And then the NWO Wolfpack, I guess ostensibly led by Kevin Nash. And uh, NWO Hollywood was represented by the black and white, the traditional NWO colors. And the Wolfpack would become the NWO Red and Black. Nice. And I think it was a good idea as far as selling (laughs) t-shirts. But I don't think it was really that great creatively in it. And I think the fact that they never really had that next step from the NWO planned. Yeah. Is a big part of what led to WCW's downfall. Possibly. I was going to say, uh, he does appear very tanned here. Yeah, like, gotta, gotta have that tan. If that if that's if, if a tan is what you judge your world champions on, he's one of the best. <laughs> also, I was going to say his facial hair is an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah, and he's got yeah. the really the the really bleached blonde mustache with the black beard. Everybody used to joke about him spray painting the beard on. No, I like it because of course spray paint, as you point out, was a big part of the NWO's gimmick where they spray paint NWO yeah. on the championship belt. Oh, I like it. You don't. I don't know how but, I feel about it, honestly. But anyway, according to my calendar, I was born on a Friday. Okay, so you're the Friday. You were born on a Friday. Yeah, we... we What's a fact fits me? Our household has... our Well, our household and our immediate family has, like, just about every day of the week covered. I think we were missing yeah, one day. Yeah, pretty much. Because I was a Saturday baby. Oh. My dad was a Sunday baby. I can't remember what Casey was, but she's told us before. I was no going to say, I can very quickly find out. And look, the... Uh, the promo's continuing. No, not really. This is just the Hogan <laughs> Bischoff Disciple promo from Nitro. Oh. Unfortunately, wow, the, more promo. That kid in, in face paint. She was born on looks like Pennywise. It, it's the Sting face paint. Yeah, no, about, the, the white like and black. Yeah, y'all should know Sting because y'all, y'all have the Sting teddy bear yeah. from, from the TNA house show. Not as cool as my Batista teddy bear. Sting was part of TNA. And now we got the Macho Man's promo from... Uh, Monday night show. Oh yeah, I'm doing this promo on Monday night, but they're gonna replay it on Thursday because Thursday Thunder is just basically a recap show for Night Show, uh huh. <laughs> Nothing ever really happens there, but something's gonna happen tonight, uh huh. Cause I might have this belt, but Hollywood's got creative control and he's gonna take it away from me, like he always does, uh huh. This is the second time, or maybe the first time, but two times during my WWF career. Not WWF, sorry, WCW. Freak out, freak out a little bit, but I'm back on it. Two times during my WWE career. Once now, once later, I don't remember, but you know what? It doesn't matter because I'm dead anyway. But I'm going to lose it to Hulk Hogan because he says he wants it, so he gets it. Uh huh. R.I.P. Macho Man Randy Savage. Disco Ball. Yeah. That's because coming to the ring is the professional wrestler Disco Inferno. Never heard of him. What do you guys think Me about neither. a disco dancing wrestler? And I don't get good uh, I put the disco boxer from Punch Out Wee. Disco was fine. I mean, it was clearly a, a lower mid-card gimmick. He was never going to be world champion, but... That guy is into it. <laughs> it was somewhat memorable. The uh, real-life Glenn Gilberti nowadays does a podcast with Conan keeping it 100. And I want to say really quickly, Conan's induction speech for Rey Mysterio Jr. at the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, WrestleMania weekend. I think that's about the time I fell asleep. Well, it's a shame because you missed one of the all-time best Hall of Fame speeches, whether induction speech or inductee speech. It was mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful. One of the highlights of WrestleMania weekend. Nice. I don't think this guy got one of the graphics telling you who he is. Interesting. I didn't notice that. Well, I told you who it was. So. <laughs> He's going to be wrestling our uh, television champion, Booker T. Let's see if he gets graphic. Now, I have heard of Booker T. Yeah, Booker T yes. went on to even greater fame in uh, the WWF. 
once WCW was acquired by WF, he was one of the wrestlers that went over initially and, and did a lot of good things there. I, I was a big fan of Booker T for most of his career at this point in 1998. And yeah, he's not getting the graphics, the, the lower <laughs> third or the chirons, they call it. That's interesting. Normally you would see like a little graphic and they say, WCW television champion, Booker T. Sometimes they even have like their their height and weight in their hometown or uh-huh. whatnot. But yeah, nothing there. Interesting. Uh, but Booker was just coming off a run with his brother Stevie Ray as the tag team Harlem Heat. Mm-hmm. who I first saw back in uh, Global Wrestling Federation in the early 90s. used to watch on ESPNs in the afternoon. And he's first getting his first uh, real singles push here as the television champion. And, of course, he would go on to even greater things. He's multi-time U.S. and world champion for WCW, world champion WWF, king of the ring. A lot of people think his King Booker run was some of his best stuff. Of course, I'll always remember his supermarket fight with Steve Austin in the WWF, which is something we ought to take a look at sometime. Probably. That sounds funny. <laughs> I um, I was going to say I might be crazy, but I feel like they they used to be a lot more like different wrestling things, and now it's mainly just the WWE. I know uh, the other one. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. a long time ago, wrestling was a, a a local business. It was all about the territories, and it was promoted in a specific area, and that's what you basically knew for mm-hmm. wrestling. And then, you know, by and the mid eighties, the, the WWF expanded nationally and ate up a lot of the territories. And like I say. It, it basically came down to the AWA and the NWA, which was represented mainly by Jim Crocker Promotions here in the Mid-Atlantic region in the WWF, and then the AWA went away, and then Jim Crocker Promotions was on the verge of going out of business when it was bought by Ted Turner and became World Championship Wrestling, which was really the last major national competition for the WWF. Um, Jeff Jarrett and his father, Jerry Jarrett, RIP Jerry Jarrett, another member of the wrestling fraternity who's passed away recently. Uh, everybody I've mentioned hasn't passed away recently, but I keep pointing out who's passed away. Firstly, a lot of these people have passed away. A lot away. of them have. And I mean, some of them are just because, I mean, this is 25 years ago. I mean, exactly. you know, people get old and pass away. But there is, unfortunately, a higher than average rate of death for those in the professional wrestling fraternity than just your average citizens. And, you know, that's probably due to a number of factors. I, I don't think we're necessarily equipped to get into that here. Yeah. But uh, the Jarrett started TNA, Total Nonstop Action, mm-hmm. in 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 conjunction with the NWA, it was technically NWA-TNA in, I believe, 2002. And they, they still exist to some degree as Impact Wrestling, uh, as far as a national competitor goes. Um, there's a lot of independent groups, too, as well. Yeah. But you also have uh, you have ROH, which formed around the same time as TNA, never quite got to their level, but still exists today, uh, kind of as a subsidiary of AEW, because Tony Khan bought it last year, but they are still around. Of course, AEW is the new kid on the block as far as national competition. But, I mean, nobody's yeah. ever really going to be competition for the WWF again, probably. And yeah. say, as someone who doesn't follow wrestling a lot, I mainly just hit WWE and AEW. Is that the other one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's WWE. It's just horribly managed. And, the uh, and I mean, with the sale, hey, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's still in the early stages, but I, I don't think it's the best thing that the McMahons don't control the company anymore. And like I like I said before, I don't necessarily think that the McMahons are the only people who know how to run professional wrestling. But I think they're some of the last who really understand the business and are in a position to own a wrestling company. Now, they how don't. have they controlled it? And the buck doesn't stop with them. Well, if you go back to Vince's dad, you're looking 50s, I want to say. That's a long so, time. So something like 70 years since the last time that a McMahon was not the primary owner of a wrestling company. In the United States. And of course, we should mention there's plenty of other wrestling outside of the United yes. States. I mean, you know, Lucha Libre is big in Mexico and you have New Japan and All Japan and DDT and, and multiple promotions 
in Japan. And there's other smaller wrestling promotions in the United States as well. But it's not exactly the same as the territory days, and there's not a whole lot on the national scene. Although, of course, today with the internet, it's anything can be national, even if it's more localized. Yeah. If you get my drift. Yeah. Man, I wonder who's going to win this match. Booker T or Disco Guy over here? <laughs> oh, Booker, Booker's going to win retain the television. Yeah. Championship. I mean, this, look, this, this is a fine... Disco was a good hand in the ring. He could work a good match, and Booker was great. Even back then, Booker was excellent in the ring. Uh, but Disco obviously isn't the one who's going to win the title. No, but he did have a run as the television champion. He and Alex Wright may have been tag team champions together, too. Gabba is here point. for Disco Slander. <laughs> But yes. yeah, this, this is basically just a throwaway TV match. It's a chance to get a couple guys out and get some action in the ring and let Booker retain his title. It's just a filler match. Yeah, well, I mean, it is a television title match, and I mean, these are two name wrestlers. It's, yeah. not, it's not a squash, as they call it, when you used to have the, you know, the enhancement talent or the jobber and the big star would come out and hit their big moves and win in two minutes. Which, you know, I think there's still a place for that in wrestling. We used to get... That used to be what wrestling TV shows were. They were all squash matches. You see the big stars against the no-name guys, although a lot of those enhancement talent would be names to the people because you see them every week. Mm-hmm. But but they were never the big touring stars. And the TV was just a way to advertise the house shows and let yeah. on the pay-per-views. And nowadays, TV is more the focus of wrestling. And during this era, the Attitude Era, it became commonplace to have major marquee matches up and down the shows on yeah. TV. And I think it's better if you have a mix. I think it's good to have some squash matches where you just have a star come out and hit a couple big moves, let the fans see him and cheer for him, and save the big matches for the pay-per-views or the major house shows or whatnot. But it's good to have but it is good to have some marquee matches on the show. Like like coming up, I enjoyed the squash matches fine because I got to see my favorite wrestlers do their moves and that was cool. But it, it was nice when you got a competitive match. Mm-hmm. on the TV shows. And then I really enjoyed it when they were all competitive, but you do sort of burn your matchups out yeah. doing that. So I think there's a way where you could have a mix of them. You know, you know nicely balanced. Yeah. Booker's raising the roof, heading up to the top breakfast. rope. Booker's going to serve Disco a balanced breakfast of missile drop kick right here for the win. <laughs> I do believe. There we go. Flying Ouch. drop kick. Okay, the missile drop kick covers Disco, hooks the leg. One, two... Three and Booker the retains the television went. championship. Oh. Who? Booker? No. Disco? Disco, yeah. Left? He went up? Yeah. Then he Didn't landed. He go down? I'm well, I mean, he landed, but then, like, most of his body came back up for Yo, that kid had a Pepsi! Well, there's a bit of bounce to the ring. Yeah, it's just like he went all the way to his shoulders, pretty much. And it's like, oof. Well, let's see. I'll climb up on the couch. And I'm <laughs> no, thank you. Me. We'll lay the table down so there's a little bit of give. We won't do it straight on the hard floor. <laughs> no, thank you. We got the replay brought to us by Castrol GTX. What's that? A new graphics card? That is oil. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, just, I'm just making a joke because this graphics card. I don't recommend morning, putting that on your computer. If you thought the milk-cooled computer was a bad idea, definitely don't try the oil-cooled computer. I know it was a graphics card. Trust me. Wait, here's the finish. Let's see Disco Bounce. The Disco Drop Bounce. Kick. See? Yep, he almost completely flipped over. Yeah. Sort of spun at the last minute. Yeah. But then again, I mean, a major impact to your upper body knocking you over. I don't I don't think that's going to Yeah, I don't think it's ball. crazy or anything. It was just like, oof. And but, Booker gets the win, as he should. Yeah. Yes. Then no chance Disco is winning that. What, that would you, what would you know about it? You have no idea what was going on in wrestling at the time. Unless someone was drunk while deciding who the winner of that match would be. <laughs> They just threw dots to figure it out. I mean, you never know, I guess. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if 
uh, and wrestling did the, did the woo dots sometimes to see what would happen. Like, all right, let's see what our next storyline would be. We have a bunch of really dumb options on the dartboard and one really good option. Let's well, throw the dots. Ideally, that's not the way it plays out. <laughs> Ideally. We saw a quick clip from Nitro again. They're, like, teasing out the match between Hogan and Savage from Nitro. Like, we don't want to show you all of it, even though it's already happened. <laughs> We're just going to show you bits and pieces of it. Yeah. They, they really... I, I don't even know what they were trying to sell, honestly. Well, I mean, they're getting over the fact that we just had a title change. Yeah. And there's the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, who we also saw at the Hall of Fame, inducting Andy Kaufman, whom he managed during that great run in Memphis. Now, he gets a graphic. He does. It's the yes. Barbarian with Jimmy Hart. The Barbarian, simultaneously known as one of the baddest men in wrestling and one of the nicest. <laughs> I think that's say. often the case. So a, lot, a lot of the real badasses in life, they're not assholes. Yeah. They don't have to be. Yeah. Look, the way to be the biggest badass is to be nice. <laughs> yep. And only be, a, only be a jackass when you need to. Yeah. Only be a jackass to jackasses. Like Johnny Knoxville. Who? Silence. I was going to say, I think you lost him. <laughs> See who the Barbarian was wrestling on this show. Oh, Prince Iakea, second generation wrestler, son of uh, Curtis Iakea. Nice. Oh, he got the graphic yep. too. I don't know what was going on after. There's no graphics. Is the graphics just not working? Maybe not. The, pipe, the, the graphics aren't coming on! Technical issues there? Maybe. That's a neat, neat little, not exactly signed, sort of signed thing to hold up. Different than all the big poster ones. I'm confused what happened. They just had like a little handmade version of the Thunder. Thunder. I'm pretty sure most of these signs are handmade, to be fair. Because not many people are getting these printed. I mean, somebody may have somewhere gotten a printed version of the Thunder. Why are some signs never on a stick? I don't know if they'd let you bring a stick into the arena. They'd probably confiscate it. Yeah, Yeah, probably. I'd be afraid you'd attack somebody with it. Yeah. Barbarian beating up the turnbuckle. Because it did him wrong. (laughs) It wouldn't be the shortest match. Good for him. I want a match that's only like three or four seconds He completely missed that clip. That that was bad. I mean, it happens. I'm not really coming down on the guys, but a lot of light in that one. But I want a match that's pretty much an immediate pin. Three or four seconds long. Not entirely uncommon. Um, Like Matt Riddle nowadays wrestles barefoot. Nice. It's, it's, It's happened. It has. I say, I think I normally see that. Pretty much just a spare some pin. Some sort of footwear. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. There's I, been a lot of one-move one, uh, one matches. I'm not saying they happen every show, but... Does it get spared and it's like, well, guess I'm done. I'm just going to lie here. I feel like I was just... I'm uh, getting up. I was just listening to a podcast where someone was talking about a, a quick match like that, but I can't remember what it is. But, I mean, it definitely happens. And on TV especially, you'd see that every Voice now and then. of someone. Mike Tanay, the professor, another one of the commentators. Ah. I I guess he joined the broadcast booth at this point. They 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 would have um, rotating announcers. Uh Sometimes they'd do like we saw on Raw, where they'd have one set for the first hour and one set for the second hour. But even on like pay per view, sometimes they'd have their main set of announcers, but they'd bring in Mike Tanay for a match or two because he was especially. uh, I don't. I don't know. He was. He was especially 
What is the word? I, I'm not. Uh, I need more context. Not knowledgeable, I guess, for lack of a better word, about some of the uh, the foreign wrestlers, especially especially the Lucha Libre wrestlers from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'd bring uh, Lee, who you saw starting the show. He'd, he'd come and uh, cover a lot of the women's matches for whatever reason. Okay. So Have I, there I, been women announcers? I don't think WWE ever had a woman announcer. I have questions. Honestly, the first uh, woman announcer I remember in WWE was when Renee... Well, what was she in WWE? Renee... I don't know her. her I don't know either. She, she's married to John Moxley. His real last name is Good, so I think she's Renee Good now, and I think she was Renee Paquette. Okay. As far as her real name, but she was Renee... Oh my gosh, I can't remember. But whatever her name was, she uh, did some announcing. In fact, she announced the episode of Raw that we went to live back in 2018. Nice. But yeah, there, there, there's definitely a dearth of female commentators in professional Apparently. wrestling, at least in the United States. Middle on April nineteenth. Yes. Hey. Yes. Hey. Hey. How you doing? Yeah. This is this is this is a uh, this was another title change from the pay per view as Raven, the gentleman with the black sleeveless t shirt on, defeated the topless gentleman Diamond Dallas Page to win the United States Championship, which he would then promptly lose the next night on Nitro to Bill Goldberg. Okay. And now here's the Terminator. This is a. Uh, an advertisement for WCW Saturday Night, which I guess when Thunder debuted to become the secondary show, it got pushed to being the tertiary show for World Championship Wrestling. But for a long time in the 80s for Jim Crockett Promotions and then into the 90s for World Championship Wrestling, this was the number one show for WCW before the era of the Monday Night Wars. Mm-hmm. Of course, we've talked about Raw just debuted for the WWF in uh, January of 1993, so just a little past its 30th anniversary. Going back to a clip from a previous night. Yep, on Nitro this past the, the pat this past Monday, as of this episode of Thunder, we're watching. Yes, Nitro, of course, had just debuted in September of nineteen ninety five. So again, we're not that far into the Monday Night era. Yeah, and of course, the WCW didn't last that long, as WCW went out of business in early two thousand and one. Macho Man climbed the top rope for the signature elbow drop. Ouch! Was as cool as the People's Elbow. <laughs> Way cooler. I'm, I'm, I'm much better Snoop wrestling. Snoop Dogg doing the people's elbow. Yes. I, I think anything is cooler than Snoop Dogg doing the people's elbow. Which, look. Wow. No, that's cool. Look, I think that was some great improvisation by Snoop and the whole WWE crew. I give him mad props for it. But it was not the best looking move. That's the greatest thing I've ever seen in wrestling. Highly entertaining, though. I, I mean, I, I was well entertained. I'm just like. I, no, I was going to point out during that, that clip. Swinging his yeah, arms. he is. I, and fluxing. That guy has no idea what's about to happen, but he's about to get his neck broken. Ah, that is Marcus Buff Bagwell climbing on the back of Scott Norton as they're a team called uh, Vicious and Delicious. Oh, God. They're also members of the NWO as you see them being escorted by the NWO security man, uh, Vincent, who is formerly known as Virgil, real life known as Mike Jones, who apparently has an affinity for uh, the Olive Garden. And uh, his Twitter is something to see. Okay. He likes flexing. I mean, why not? I was going to say, I'm pretty sure a lot of wrestlers I enjoy a good flex now and then. No, I was going to say, like uh, during that Nitro clip or whatever, Macho Man looked weird to me. How so? Just just different. Not what I'm used to. Just because the more muted color palette Probably. in his outfit? I mean, he looks like Macho Man. I mean, he did have to... I've watched a, a lot gym. of Macho what, Man. I said, is it because he wasn't snapping into a Slim Jim? Perhaps. All right, the opponents for a Vicious and Delicious are Rick Steiner and Lex Luger led to the ring by Ted DiBiase. Well, I guess Rick's technically leading, but accompanied to the ring by Ted DiBiase, the That's $4 million dollar man, who apparently is facing a long time in jail for ripping off some people with a charity scam. Okay. Ah. And and uh, Rick Steiner also got into a bit of hot water slinging some uh, 
trans slurs at a wrestling convention over WrestleMania ah. weekend. So mm. kind of a kind of a shitty group looking back on it. But at the time, you know, what we about didn't know the person. Yeah, what about the person? Uh, I've heard Lex is a pretty good guy now. He was kind of a dick during his wrestling days, but I, I've heard nothing but good things. And he's had some health issues, but I think he's got a real positive outlook and seems to be a really good guy. Likes interacting with the fans and whatnot. Okay, so I think one person in there was good. And got a, a weird look on. I don't know what he's doing there, though. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Should point out referee uh, Mark Curtis, a.k.a. Brian Hildebrand, another of the wrestling family who passed away way too young, uh, died of stomach cancer in 99. And again, by all accounts, a very beloved figure in wrestling. He was Jim Cornette's right-hand man in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Good friend of Mick Foley, among many others, as Lex with the titty flex. <laughs> I, I, smiles on the camera. I mean, Oddly if you got it, smiles on the calendar. The calendar. I, the I, camera. Will, I will say, when I got into wrestling in 1990 and, and into early 91, uh, Lex Luger and Rick Steiner, who was one half of the Steiner Brothers tag team with his brother Scotty, those were two of my very favorite wrestlers. I was a big Steiner Brothers fan, and Lex was my absolute favorite wrestler to begin with. Nice. See, uh, that guy's wearing the condiment outfit with the mayonnaise shoe, the mustard shoe, he, and the ketchup. He's Rick kind Steiner. of wearing the more... He is clearly the most colorful wrestler in the ring. Outfit. I don't know how exactly to do it. Don't I like that outfit? He's in like the singlet. And I always thing. liked the singlets, and I liked the Signer Brothers singlets, but by this oh, time he had gone looks. to more of that, that, that sort of real shiny pleather look. Uh-huh. I don't like that as much. I like the more muted sort of spandex. I don't it like that guy's movements. It can be as colorful as you want it. Buff. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was a heel. He was supposed to get on your nerves, so I guess he's doing his job. I find him very nice. much. I've got, he, I've got he with him because he stole his finishing move from me, though. <laughs> he, he did what was called the buff blockbuster, which is essentially a, a top rope flying neck breaker where he would jump up and flip over and pull the guy down to a neck breaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, the original WCW action figures were similar to the original WWF action, WWF action figures in that they didn't move. They were basically just little statues. Yeah. And uh, I believe it was the Z-Man Tom Zink figure, R.I.P. Tom Zink. Sorry, I'd have to keep saying that, but... Uh, he was posed with one arm like across his abdomen and the other one in like a, a, a front bicep pose. And uh-huh. so I would use that figure. I would make him jump off the top rope and flip over and catch the guy with that flexing arm into a flying neck breaker, which is what I called it. Mm-hmm. Around this time, Buff started doing it on TV and called it the Buff Blockbuster. So I'm not <laughs> sure how he stole it from me, but I'm, I'm convinced that he did. Closely, the figures I like are like the little like wobbly ones. They can, like, barely move. I don't like anything that lacks articulation. No. G- G- the G.I. Joe. Like, not the big dolls, but the, the three-and-a-half-inch figures from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were they, their their elbow joints moved, their their shoulders moved, their their knees bent, so you could really put them in all kinds of positions. Yeah, those, ones are, those are the absolute best for, for yeah, wrestling those. purposes and for general. I'd like those are the easily G.I. best. And I, they could hold weapons, and they had a, a, a method of applying backpacks with a peg in their back. So yeah, th- those are the. I think that's the cream of the crop for an action figure. That there, as much as I love the Star Wars action figures and the characters they represent, the GI Joe figures were better figures because you could just do more with them. Yeah, I find the, I find the little Wobu ones funny. They're funny, but they're not necessarily the coolest figures. Yeah. Had a little trouble there, but still muscled them up into the power slam. Yeah, I don't really like the. What's it called? I'm not sure. That the, the thing titties. <laughs> You're waving at your chest. The thing the bang with the, the singlet. The singlet. Yeah, singlets. I, yeah. like I like singlets. That's no. probably my preferred wrestling. Oh, I was I never a big like fan of the trunks, the things the that look just like a pair of briefs. I always yeah. prefer either long tights or the singlets. I like the pants. I think the trunks look better than the singlets, and but it, the pants look better. I think the guy in the black looks better than the guy in the red. I mean, again, it, it always depends on the wrestler and the specific ring gear as far as how good it looks. But in, in general, that's my preference. 
I like I like the MMA style just shorts at this point too. I think that's a good look. Nice. You like shorts. That about for you like shorts. And like yes, yes, Steve Austin, yes. when he first came into WCW, a stunning Steve Austin, uh-huh. he didn't wear like the brief cut trunks like Lou was wearing. He actually wore like what looked more like boy shorts or like boxer briefs where they were like shorts almost, but they were still like spandex and tight. I thought that was a pretty decent look too. You don't see that much anymore. That looks no. he looks very small next to all these guys. He yes. is small, but he's supposed to be the referee. I mean, you don't he want him. You don't want small. them. I mean, to be fair, like this is '98. He he might have been dealing with stomach cancer at this point. I know he had it for a while and and tried to make a comeback and then eventually succumbed to it. Uh huh. But but I, I think he was always a small fellow. In fact, he he's a worker too. He makes as you know he could do all the moves. He was he was actually a very good wrestler, but because <laughs> of his small size and the fact that he couldn't really manage to put on a lot of weight, kept him from ever being. A mainstream professional wrestler, and so he ended up working behind the scenes at Smoky Mountain. He did managing and refereeing. Interesting. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if he just looks as small as he does because of what he's surrounded by, or if he is just generally very small. But he is a he is a very small individual, certainly relative to the professional wrestlers. I, I definitely don't, relative. I don't to know what his height is, but I know he probably didn't weigh, you know, much more than 140 pounds or so, so you can sort of extrapolate it from that. And, I mean, you figure Luger's probably, he was advertised as 6 feet 5 inches, mm-hmm. which is probably not far from the truth. Buff is probably around 5'11 to 6 feet, same for Rick. Scott Norton's probably a little over 6 feet, if that, but he's, you know, big and beefy. All right, Rick's going to the top row. Now, I'm pretty sure this is the point where Buff's going to get injured as Scott takes the chair away from Vincent. That's that's Rick's brother, Scott. There's the bulldog that hurts Bagwell. So, Bagwell's hurt now, but I don't think anybody but Bagwell realizes it. And then, for some reason, Scott still hits his brother with the chair after taking it away from Vincent. Now, the Steiner brothers had just split up as a tag team. I think it's Super Brawl in 98, so just a couple months before this. So, it makes sense that he would attack his brother, but it doesn't make much sense that he would take the chair away from Vincent and then attack his brother. It's like, no, man, you ain't going to do it. I'm going to do it. But Vince's trying to pull Bagwell out, and I think somebody's going to appraise him that, no, 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 don't do that, because Bagwell's legitimately hurt at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember being in the crowd and seeing this, and obviously we didn't realize what happened at first, but it becomes quickly obvious that something is wrong. And I remember being a good 20 or 30 minutes just sitting there waiting for them to get him out of the ring. Mm-hmm. And, and they should have. I understand. With a neck injury, you need to take your time. You yeah. need to get a stabilizer and be careful in moving them. So I understand why they did it. But I'm just pointing out that not a lot was going on, and I, clearly they were caught off guard. And I know at least one of the matches that was scheduled for the show had to be canceled. I believe Chris Benoit was supposed to have a match on the show, and they ended up not showing that, not even performing it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting go. that they wouldn't even perform it at all. Well, I mean, they didn't have time for it. Bagwell, I'm saying Bagwell was legitimately in the ring being worked on for a good 20 minutes, and yeah. the show's live. It's not yeah. It's not on tape, so I mean, they had to get out. And, there were, and again, it was a mid-card match. It wasn't the main event of the show or anything, so something had to be scrapped. And they are back in the ring on Bagwell. Now for the slow part of the show. <laughs> Not a lot happens. I'm actually surprised they're focusing on it this much. I mean, generally they don't tend to focus on real life injuries as mm-hmm. much in wrestling. I mean, it's it, you can't shoot around it, but I'm surprised they're not on the announcers or doing a video package or something. Yeah, cutting away to something else. That guy has a very shiny head. Which one? The guy with the shiny head. Great, I didn't see a shiny head. Could you maybe describe the clothes or something? It's Mike Jones. Okay. That guy with the shiny head. Okay. Known as Lonely Virgil for his propensity for being at autograph sessions with no line. Okay. (laughs) Scott Norton doing the job of the paramedics bringing the stretcher. That's a weird looking stretcher. I mean, maybe it's not, but it doesn't look like, it, it looks like a chair. 
It does. Yeah. It looks like a we don't have a stretch. We'll bring this chair. We can modify it. <laughs> you can do a wheel. You can only do it by doing a wheel. Look, Norton's strong. He can bend it. <laughs> it is on wheels. Is it more of like the upright kind of thing? Like they'd wheel like Hannibal Lecter out in or something? <laughs> it, I think there's a chair. I, I guess it's a stretch. I guess the wheels are going to drop. Down. I say maybe it's a, it's a kind of stretch. stretcher, but it can like be adjusted if they need it differently. If we need to be a chair that you can do wheelies on. Look, I feel okay joking around because I know at the end of the day Bagwell would be okay, but this is a very serious injury that he suffered. Much. He would be out of the ring for several months, and I'm sure at the time it was terrifying. Probably. But not a whole lot else to say. Like I they said, they finally I, got it down. They did do that finally, so that's step one. <laughs> step one has been completed. They, de- they they definitely seem somewhat confused. Yeah. They open up the box there. Shit, this is the medical box. The tackle box. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Catch him with this fly hook? <laughs> it's not going to do any good. Get us the other box. There's a tool box. I like... Here's the replay. Watch. It's going to be right oh. there. Oh. He slips out of Rick's grip and his head actually hits on the back of Rick and, and you know, bends his neck back. And that's yeah. where the injury happened, of course. And you see Scotty hitting him with the chair. And you can see he's trying to pull Buff on, but Buff, he can't help at all, so... Mm-hmm. And that's probably really dangerous moving him like that. But, I mean, I'm not coming down on the guys. They didn't necessarily realize in the moment. And I'm not sure how easily Bagwell could communicate to them. You see him talking there, but I'm not sure what he was saying. I'm sure he was trying to say, I'm hurt or I can't move or help yeah. or something. But definitely a scary situation. I was going to say, I uh, I like that. Not Like, clearly a lot of wrestlers have left the ring, moved out of the way, etc. But I like that not all of them did. That some of them are sitting there trying to help as they can. Yeah, well, I mean... Like, they did, like everyone didn't just... <clears throat> Completely move and just leave them to figure it out, you know. Well, I mean, that's his teammate and, yeah. and Virgil's his, you know, stable mate in the NWO. So I'm sure there's at least some kind of relationship between them. And even if you're not super close with somebody, you still feel for a guy in your profession when he goes down. Yeah. You, you see, like, in uh, other sports, too, like in football or whatnot, when somebody has a serious injury, the other team's not like, hey, that's great. Or, you know, they, they're concerned as well. Yeah. That's always nice to see, though. If I could, cannot last. It's not nice to see that somebody got hurt. No, I understand. It's nice to see that their their associates' faces, their co-workers' faces. If I could, cannot last in this audience and just sitting around for like 20 (laughs) minutes. Just be checking out? Yeah, I mean. It's like you go play on your phone back in the Yeah, we didn't even have cell phones. Maybe you could play with the Game Boy. You didn't even have a phone with like Snake or something? No. With the Game Boy around at this time? It was around, but mine didn't work, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't have brought it with me anyway. I was maybe there to see be, wrestling. The only problem is, was there's it, no light on the Game Boy, yeah. so, so when the you lights are, like, you wouldn't have seen it anyway. Maybe you bring like the Light Boy attachment. And I think, I think I got my Game Boy. Oh, I got my Game Boy Color for Christmas this year, so I. I that, would say, be mo- that would be months the later. Game yeah, so the Game, game Boy Color didn't have a backlight anyway, so the original Game Boy Advance doesn't have a backlight. Nope. Only the Game Boy Advance SP. Damn. Yeah, it took freaking four Game Boys for them to get... Meanwhile, freaking Japan had, like, a Game Boy Light that actually had a backlight. Of the original Game Boy. Nice. Yeah, you saw Bobby the Brain Heenan down there talking with uh, ring announcer Dave Penzer, seeing what's going on. I'm sure he's trying to report back to the other announcers for the TV broadcast, but I have a feeling Bobby was concerned as well, because Bobby suffered a broken neck early in his career, too. Maybe not early, but earlier in his career, mm-hmm. and had neck issues for the rest of his career. So I think he's feeling a bit of sympathy or empathy for Buff at this point. Lots of ways to get injured in wrestling. Yep. Dumb ways to get injured. So many dumb ways to get injured. Yeah. Well, this is this is the uh, this is the um, 
Oh, gosh, I can't even think it's of the name of it. It's the, the, the Carolina Coliseum. Yeah, I was going to say it's the Coliseum. Which place was the, uh, the basketball Carolina. arena for the University of South Carolina, amongst other things. I um, I believe when the circus would come to town back then, that's where it would be held. So nice. I probably saw the circus there. I definitely saw uh, Nitro there a few months prior to this in the fall of 97. And, of course, I saw this Thunder episode there. I would also see uh, Nitro again later in the year 98 mm-hmm. here at the Coliseum. And then the Coliseum, it, it's, as far as I know, it still exists there on Assembly Street. It may have been torn down by now, but for a long time it was still there, even once the uh, Carolina Center opened up a block away on Green Street to become the new basketball arena for the University of South Carolina, the new main arena. And then uh, We're getting a we play again. We are. But the Carolina Center, which has uh, since been renamed the uh, Colonial Life Center. Interesting. I believe, uh, Colonial Life Arena, perhaps. Mm-hmm. That's where I saw um, SmackDown once. Saw it a second time with you in the audience with me. You nice. and your mother and your older brother, Marcus. Um, saw Jimmy Buffett in concert there for what was my second concert. Nice. After your mother took me to see Bob Dylan at the Township Auditorium in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, Very nice things to see, I'm sure. That phone looks nice. That's a, a big old 90s flip phone. And I don't know who Norton's talking to. Like, like, get Scott on the phone. He'll make something happen. <laughs> oh, I know a minute ago I saw them discussing about the having to wait for an ambulance to show up before they can put him on the thing to move him. That's a little surprising. I know a lot of arenas, like, require an ambulance to be there for events like this. Maybe they didn't in 98. I even remember hearing a story on one of the wrestling podcasts about a wrestler getting hurt, mm-hmm. and they had him in the ambulance, but they, he could, they couldn't leave and take him to the hospital until the second ambulance could get there because of the state's requirements for an ambulance to be on the premises at all times. Maybe you should always bring two ambulances. <laughs> Maybe they do now. But yeah, oh, they but do I was going to say. So. 1998. April and April 98, why? We get the Game Boy Pocket release April 14th, 1998. Oh, Not right. the Game Boy Pocket, the Game Boy Light. So if you could get imported from Japan in like a week, you could have your Game Boy Light here. Uh, we're seeing the announcers here, as you can see behind them. Uh, they're still working on Buff in the ring, but now Mike Tanay has replaced um, Lee Marshall there at the commentary desk. Interesting. Which is interesting, because are we even an hour into the show at this point? Why are we sitting um, facing the way sure. the ring? That does seem like an odd way to be positioned. Because wrestling commentators are taught and supposed to, they, they, they watch them, they have monitors. You see those empty spots mm-hmm. there in the desk? That's where they're monitoring, because they need to call what is on the screen. Because if they're watching the ring and they're calling something that the fans at home aren't seeing, it doesn't make any sense. So they need to essentially watch it on TV uh-huh. at the same time as the fans. So th- there are setups with the announcers at ringside. You saw on Raw they were at ringside. Say, WWE has had the announcers at ringside. It just depends on, on the, the company and the setup and the time. But they don't need to be at ringside, is my point, because they're supposed to be watching the monitor, so they're calling whatever the fans are seeing as well. <laughs> or otherwise, yeah, you're calling a move that's happening, but the camera's not showing it, so it, it, it's... It's incongruous to what the fans are seeing. Moving him. <laughs> Attempting to, anyway. Trying to get him on the backboard. Yeah, and like I said, this was a scary situation at the time. And, and just as a fan watching it, it was, I mean, boring. There's no other way to put it. And you understand. It's not like they can do anything. I'm yeah. not like, man, just drag him out of the ring and throw somebody else in there. But, yeah, there's not much to do. There are some video screens there in the arena. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much they were really showing on him at the time. I don't have much memories of it. And, I'm, you know, we were curious about what was happening, concerned about Buff as well. So Yeah. 
they they get a graphic. They do now. They, they, I think they had one at the beginning too. They may J- have. just just Booker and Disco so. man. <laughs> no graphics for them. Look, you don't even know who Booker. I would, and Disco I would say it was racist, but but Disco's white, so I'm not sure what. <laughs> they just, well, they they just like don't Disco. like Disco. There you go. <laughs> God, they're racist and hate Disco. <laughs> 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 what are they Fucking discussing disco. there? You're still just here for the disco slander. Huh? You know, disco should be in the next WWE 2K game just so I can beat him up. I'm sure you can make him in the game. He might have. Well, he never did work for WWE, so I'm not sure if he appears Dang in the games or not. He may appear in some wrestling game. I know there are some other wrestling games that have wrestlers who didn't or don't work for WWE, so. Disco should be in WrestleQuest. Oh, I can't wait for WrestleQuest. I mean, a wrestling RPG in a faux 16-bit style, that might be the greatest game ever made. If Disco is in it, it definitely is the greatest game ever made. <laughs> well, I think you take control of your own wrestler, but I, I do know, like, uh, there's at least some influence from Randy Savage and Jake the Snake and Andre the Giant are the names I've heard associated with it. Is, is like Disco now your least favorite well. wrestler? Uh, yes. Oh, okay, look, that, that's not fair. I mean, I'm not a huge Disco Mark or anything, but there's a lot of wrestlers that are much more worthy yeah. of scoring than Disco. There's a, even in, in the ring, there's ones with way dumber gimmicks. And outside the wings, I'm sure there's ones that are worse than him. I mean, I don't know how Disco is outside the wings. I ring. was going to say. Before I know, he's a massive jerk. Disco. So on screen right now, we're watching some more of the replay of the Macho Man Randy Savage Hulk Hogan world title match from the previous Nitro. Yes. Uh, that Nitro was on April 20th, so if you're paying attention, that means that this Thunder we're watching was actually on April 22nd, of course we've said, mm-hmm. meaning it was on a Wednesday. Yes. But uh, Thunder was a Thursday show. This was the first Thunder to be on a Wednesday, and actually I think Thunder would move to Wednesdays mm-hmm. as its regular schedule at some time, but at this point it was still a Thursday show. But it was on Wednesday at this point to make way for TBS's coverage of the opening round of the NBA playoffs. In fact, that first night, April 23rd, that Thursday... What is he hitting him They would show the uh, Charlotte Hornets 97-87 victory over the Atlanta Hawks as Mm -hmm. Charlotte would go on to win that series 3-1 before losing the second round to the Chicago Bulls who would go on to win the championship that year, the uh, middle championship, I think, in their second three-peat. Why is his back so shiny? In the ring, Hogan, is, he was using a, uh, it's a weightlifting belt that he would wear out to the ring uh-huh. that he was whipping Savage with that he's now choking him with. This is back to Vice Sweaty and that's why it's shiny. And oiled. Yeah. All of the above. Well, uh, it's more like glittery shiny. Oh, yeah. Macho's got like some glitter on his back or something. Probably during one of the uh, matches, there was some glitter for some reason. It was part of somebody's entrance or somebody's <laughs> ring attire. As I say, is it that... Is it just for added shine effect? <laughs> no, he, I like to put glitter on my. So, somebody effects. might have had glitter on for added shine effect, but not macho. <laughs> glitter. <laughs> no, is not macho, macho enough. Too macho for that, uh huh. I, I thought glitter was macho the most man's macho weakness. Thing. Glitter. <laughs> oh no, not glitter. It's his kryptonite. <laughs> Macho's kryptonite, uh huh. Freak out, freak out when I see it. Yeah. Good thing the only way to solve it is to snap into a slim gem. <laughs> He's gonna go into the back, look in the mirror, see the glitter, be like, "No!" I have questions. I assume maybe since we've seen this clip, basically of him doing the elbow drop already, uh-huh. this might have been what they finally went to to cover some of the time while they were trying to get Buff out of the ring. 
Just showing like the whole match. Like, like clearly they were showing clips, but they didn't intend to show this much, and they finally got their shit together, and like, we better put something up. <laughs> Took them a while. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, you don't expect one of your wrestlers to get hurt to that point. I mean, it does happen. You have to realize that injuries are a part of the game. I was going to say, and, I feel, and like I feel like and I feel in like such a spot. No offense, but I feel like the WWF would have been more on the ball with it. Mm-hmm. But you can't really blame them. You do have to expect the unexpected producing a live television show to a degree, but you can't be prepared for everything if they just didn't have anything. But you would think they would have easily been able to queue up this video. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, we weren't working in the truck at the time. Okay, yeah. so I always have two ambulances and a backup plan. Multiple backup plans, because you never know when your backup plan is also going to go wrong. <laughs> two backup plans and three ambulances. <laughs> See, they were showing clips of the match. They were too far ahead in the match. They're like, we're going to have to rewind. Well, it's going to take a little while. We'll, we'll, we'll just show what's going on in the ring. Look, Norton's on a phone. That's kind of funny. Phone? Is it a cool phone like the other one? That was literally talking about Norton being on the phone that we were talking about. Oh. What are the phones I talked? What did you think I was talking about? There was a second phone on the grassy knoll. It was that phone that shot Kennedy. <laughs> I have a question. Well, that phone looked cool. The old flip phone style thing. Okay. Did you I not think, think it looked cool? I think it looks fine. I, really I do think it. I'd I prefer some I, it, of those. I never had service on it, but I had one of those phones. Flip phones. Do you still have it somewhere? I seriously doubt it. Dang it. Because no, I never got service on it, so there's no reason to keep it. But I did actually have one of those in my possession at one time. I just really yes. like old technology. Yes, yes, you do. I, it, it's just so cool. Yeah, I'm, I I still like the old, like, the gray brick phones from, like, the late 80s. The mm-hmm. original cellular phones. I think those look neat. Mm-hmm. I remember Zach Morris having those on Saved by the Bell. And, and, Pedro. and Paul Heyman, he was probably dangerously carrying those to the ring. Let's get Pedro. My dad okay. had a Pedro. A couple of them. I never nice. had one personally. Always have a backup pager. <laughs> Just in case. I don't even. Can you even get a pager with service at this point? <laughs> I, I doubt it. You could not. probably get a cell. They could probably make a cell phone in the shape of a fucking pager at this point. Somebody <laughs> should do that. Yo, copyright us. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm sure pagers will be back inside in like three years. I feel like there's a market for that. It looks like a pager, but it's really a little cell phone. I'm debating whether or not I could see Pages making a comeback. I want a Pager, but can play Tamagotchi. Maybe instead of having like a display on it, it would have the same little tiny display that a Pager would, but it would like project on the surfaces, and that's how you could do your stuff. Oh gosh! And you'd be like Iron Man in the Avengers movies, like moving stuff around. <laughs> I mean, maybe we're not quite there yet. But. I don't think we're quite there. We're getting there, but we're not quite. Pager there. from the 1950s. Really? That doesn't come to the Wikipedia page. They're developed in the 1950s and 60s. I feel like it could have been a thing, but it wasn't a thing in the the same. To be fair, I didn't really see or hear about anything until the 80s because I was born in the middle of 1979. I don't have any memories back that far. It felt like there were new technology at the time. If you want to be technical, it's patented in 1949. I would like to say. Welcome to this. I'm pretty sure history is just a loop. I mean, that seems a little. Strange, because I wouldn't think any sort of wireless or cellular technology existed back then. But but also you want that so. some early version of it, I guess. I was going to say that's what I'm saying. Like and I could see some form of a pager existing. Well, yeah, some form of. But I don't it's think not it's anything not like the version that we saw. Yeah, it wouldn't be what we think. I mean, of what can you now. even do with pagers? You communicate. Ba- yeah, I mean, you basically page somebody so they get a little beep. They're also called beepers, and you look at it and it would have their phone number there, so you know to call them back. Like, what we would do, too, if it was an emergency, you'd put in your phone number and then 911. 
So someone's looking, they see your phone number now, and it's like, oh, I need to call them back right now if I can. Is that where we get some of the different, like, number texting code things? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's just what we did at the time. Yeah, according to this, they were devo- developed in they were the devoid. 50s and They were devoid 60s. of a soul. They were soulless technology. But became widely used by the 80s. Yeah. I'm sure the technology was much advanced even by the 80s when they were finally mass-produced. In Japanese, it was commonly called a pocket bell. Ring, ring. <laughs> I think, I was going to say, I feel like I'd prefer those little toy phone messaging things that you used to be able to get in the electronic section of Toys R Us, and, you know, you'd get, like, two and a pack. But you, you could you could send little messages with your I friends. bet they didn't have a lot of range, though, to be fair. Not a lot of range, but enough of range. I remember me and my best friend had one, and I was able to get onto the school bus to come home. And still get a message while she was at school and we were, like, pulling away from it. So it had, like, a decent amount of Right, but it's not like you could be at your house and they could be at their house across town and you could be out of state. No, not that I recall. Like you could with a pager. But for a kid going to school and just needing to exchange something real quick before I got home and could use my phone, Mm. it worked. I'm pretty sure what we're seeing in the ring here is the official uh, breakup of the NWO as Savage and Hogan are going at it, and Kevin Nash, one of the original founding members of the NWO, comes out and power bombs Hogan to try to help Macho Man get the win. Of course, Macho Man and Nash will be part of the NWO, Red and Black, or the Wolf Pack. And there's Bret Hart clocking Nash with the WCW Championship belt to give Hogan the win, as Bret's going to turn heel and become part of the NWO here, killing any momentum he had after he came to WCW after the Montreal Screwjob. Interesting. It looked as though he was running with his hand open, and that just looked weird. Okay. It's like he was doing something with the other one. I don't recall what, but then the other hand was just open, like kind of by his side and stuff. And there's Rowdy Roddy Piper coming down to the ring. Interesting look. Looking like a Scottish biker. Big inspiration for the the gimmick that Ronda Rousey uses now. She wears the Rowdy Ronda Rousey shirt in the Hot Rod style, and she wears the kilt. Apparently she was a fan of Roddy Piper's and is friends with the family. Interesting. I hate to say it, of course, but R.I.P. Roddy Piper. (laughs) I feel like the list of living wrestlers that you show us is much... Yeah, it it can be sad going back and watching wrestling from the heyday of wrestling for me. A lot of these people aren't with us anymore. Yeah. And and, and there's all kinds of reasons. I mean, some are accidents, some are like with Brian Hildebrand cancer. uh, But it is unfortunately true that, that those in the wrestling fraternity tend to have a higher rate of death than just the average citizen, or even people in other sports. The apparently. oldest living uh, wrestler. I have no idea. How would I know that? <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know a lot of wrestling things. I don't know. Bob Jones. <laughs> but anyway, uh, some interesting things. Apparently, the U.S. paging industry generated two point one billion in two thousand eight. In two thousand eight. And $6.2 billion in 2003. 2008 is the year after the iPhone released. But still, it's like, what? We still have And funny thing, in Japan, the last paging service provider uh-huh. only shut down in 2019. I feel as though I heard that. Like, what? Japan, <laughs> what are you going to do? Apparently, the UK National Health Service Stop. used <clears throat> over 10% of major remaining pages in 2017. This is around 2020, they were phased out. Again on the screen, we're seeing more replay from the pay-per-view. Yes. Uh, a few days before the Thunder we're watching. Billy yes. Kidman jumping on DDP's back. These guys are all members of Raven's group, known as the Flock. 
And uh, Raven did all his matches in what they called Raven's Rule, so there were no DQs. So this was all perfectly legal. Is I believe that's Horace Vallea, Hogan's uh, Hulk Hogan's nephew, uh-huh. who just joined Raven's flock after hitting DDP with the stop sign. And you saw Raven DDT him on what I believe was the kitchen sink, meaning this match included everything and the kitchen sink. Nice. Wow. I'm pretty sure it's broken at this point. This was uh, Horace's debut with the company. He'd been primarily working in Japan, I believe, before this. Speaking of Japan. And there's the United States Championship belt. I, I like that United States Championship belt a lot. I loved it when it first came out. Uh, the belt that it replaced... Does that guy have a sign? Is actually one of my favorite belts. Which guy? That guy, no, guy over there with the bright yellow sign. Yeah, that's uh, that's Lodi. He would carry. He was part of Raven's flock, and he would carry signs for them, sort of <laughs> aping what uh, the Dudleys did in ECW with Sign Guy Dudley, where one of the members of their troop would carry signs for them. Interesting. What is that person holding up? A paper plate. I have questions. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Maybe they got like pizza on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me hold on my slice of pizza. And now we're going to watch the the, uh, the Zapruder film here with the second phone on the grassy knoll. Why didn't this? Why didn't this so cool that guy in a wet suit? See, they're highlighting. See, he's got a phone in his pocket. It was that phone that struck JFK. <laughs> and back into the left. Back into the left. What? <laughs> what, what is going on now? I, I, I think uh, Horace Balea was disguised as a member of the ring crew. So he's got the crew shirt on, and that was how his, his foray into the thing, how he snuck up and was able to blindside DDP and give Raven the win. The win. Oh. I don't know what I was going to say there. The, the wing. Win. The ring. <laughs> the give, win. Give, give Raven the win. Ah. Uh, Away from, from Teen Titans. But, but he was, uh, yep. like I say, he was disguised as a member of the ring crew, and so they were showing the, the, the tape that revealed that. Yeah, here he is actually, I guess, making his debut for World Championship Wrestling. All right. Just he gets us. a graphic. He does. So who's well, everyone's he, favorite team? He ain't black or Disco Inferno. So, oh, <laughs> you, y'all see the mascot back over his shoulder? That was no, Wildcat Willie. No, I didn't know mascot. I didn't know they had a mascot. They did. They also had dancing girls, the Nitro Girls. Okay. Which didn't perform on Thunder because this is a Nitro. That's and you You might think it's silly, and it probably is. But at the same time, having been to Nitro Live, uh-huh. it was nice to have something going on in the ring, like during commercial breaks. Nice. <laughs> and I mean, you know, as a teenage boy, too, it was nice to see Bill Stanley <laughs> clad dancing. But it, I'm just saying, just to have something going on, because you're in a commercial break, there's not a match or anything going on, they're not doing anything. And to have them doing something to entertain you, it really did help pass the time during like breaks. Chili, so for the thing? television audience, they didn't mean that much other than maybe a little bit of PGTNA. Mm-hmm. Not the wrestling company, <laughs> but um, it, it actually did serve a purpose having that dance troupe for the live audience. Nice. Well, who's everyone's favorite Teen Titan? Raven. I don't know. Uh, my not. Stuff but I Raven maybe? the wrestler, not Raven the Teen Titan. <laughs> Raven the Teen Titan is my second favorite Teen. Titan. Uh, my teen, my favorite Teen Titans from best to worst: uh, Robin, Raven, Starfire, Cyborg, Beast Boy. Why do you hate Beast Boy? I don't know. He's my least favorite. Damn it. I don't accept your Beast Boy slander. I can side with you on the Disco slander, not Beast Boy. I mean, it's not I like that Beast I hate him. It's that everyone's better than him. I feel like I would look a lot like Horace if I just let my hair grow in a little bit. Okay. And that's why I have my head completely shaved. <laughs> I'm just like, if you're to that point, just take it all off. Now, to be fair, I'm talking about regular Teen Titans, not Teen Titans Go. They completely shit on Robin and Teen Titans Go. Diamond Dallas Page aping Raven's look with the sleeveless shirt, giving the diamond cutter to both Horse and his opponent. Letting everybody know that he's pissed that he's not going to take it anymore. <laughs> I, I, was big, I was a big fan of DDP, though. I like DDP. 
And the referee gets it too. Yep. All right, so I guess he's going to go wrestle himself. <laughs> well, he's not out there to wrestle. He's just doing a run-in. Is it just some shadow boxing? He wasn't even part of this. Yeah, no, he's going to grab the mic and say, Damn it, Raven, you stole my title. I want it back. Well, yeah, he doesn't want it back because Goldberg has it now. Although he and Goldberg <laughs> would wrestle. Match with Goldberg. Well, he and Goldberg would wrestle for the World Championship on Halloween Havoc later this year, which is a show we might watch a little bit of. I don't want to talk too much about it right now, just in case. But they were both babyface, and he wouldn't he wouldn't care about the title at this point. He's probably just wanting revenge on Raven. Right. Man, at Halloween Havoc, they should have all dressed up in Halloween costumes. The announcers would do that occasionally. That would be hilarious. Several years, they'd have the announcers and the, the interviewers in costume. I got reminded recently that on the 1989 tour, Taylor Swift had a show on Halloween close enough to it. And so her and her dancers wore costumes. You want to know what she dressed up as? Olaf. <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to say on the 89 Halloween Havoc. I'm like, what do you know about 89 <laughs> Halloween Havoc? Uh, honestly, like, you're watching wrestling without me now? Honestly, that is amazing. <laughs> I was probably used to say something like freaking Miley Cyrus or something. <laughs> that, you know, I, that wouldn't shock me. They were supposedly close at some point of time. They performed together and Taylor Swift wrote. And here's another guy. One or two songs. It's Raven. Oh, we just, we just saw him. That's so Raven. The Great Disney Show. I don't know. That's so Raven. Raven in real what? life. Scott Levy. One time, uh, Scotty Anthony, the Palm Beach heartthrob. Scotty the Body. I think Alex is mad at me now. Johnny Polo to the WWE. There's Walkout. You see, you see the, the hairy gentleman with the green and yes. the sunglasses and the faux belt. Yes, that I was like the best era of Disney. Personally, I liked uh, the. You liked um, the era right after it. I liked uh, like, With, like shake good it luck up Charlie, and shake, Yeah, you liked the era right after it. <laughs> the live action shows on Disney were all fine, but I mean the animated ones far outweighed them. <laughs> Kim Possible, Phineas yeah. and Ferb, Gravity Falls, Proud Family, so much good animation. Was on Gravity Disney. Falls technically on Disney? Yes, it was. I mean, it might have been Disney XD. I was going to say, I knew it was Disney XD. Disney. Yeah. Okay, but the live-action Disney XD doesn't get counted with the live-action Disney. Yeah, I was two when That's So Raven ended. Okay, so I was six. So? That's So Raven, of course, sort of bridged the gap between, uh, like, Even Stevens and... Oh, what was Hilary Duff's show? Um... Um, I can't think of it now. It Lizzie was good. McGuire? Lizzie McGuire, there you go. And then the, the later era stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lizzie McGuire, That's a Raven, Hannah Montana, Wizards of Waverly Place. That yeah, but, but, I, but I feel like really even like Stevens it. and Lizzie McGuire were even before That's a Raven. Yeah, they, I think they were Lizzie established McGuire was a little bit before all of that technically. Came along. And I only know that because you were young and we watched a lot of Disney Channel for you, so I, I got well acquainted with all that stuff. But by the time we started watching That's a Raven was new and Lizzie McGuire and even Stevens had already been around for a little bit. I actually spent an hour. My dad and I actually spent like a whole Saturday watching the Even Stevens Marathon with Eve <laughs> just for the fuck of it. And I don't like, even remember it. Why not? Let's give it a shot. It was a decent show, man. I'm not going to lie. Nice. Uh, the sister on that show, she's the voice of Kim Possible. Oh, gosh. I'm not going to be able to remember her name. I do not know her name. Uh, Kelly Romano. Some, oh, man. I think she, she, she had like three names. I want to say... Kelly Clarkson Romano, but that's not right. <laughs> Kimberly Clark Romano, something like that. I apologize for not remembering her know. name. She, she, she was really good. She was great as the voice of Kim Possible. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that era of Disney, I regard as the best. And the era, like, right after it is still really good. I think it does fall a little bit lower, but it's still really good. And then you have the newer stuff, and it's like, it's not bad. 
I'm just watching something somewhere else. Yeah, I sort of feel like that way when it comes to wrestling, too. Like, there's eras. Like, I really love, you know, my main era, and then the next <laughs> stuff is pretty good, and the current stuff's fine, but I don't watch it that yeah. much. I was confused for a minute. Is that a result of the product or uh, us growing I think up it's, and changing? I, I think it's both. I legitimately think it is both. I mean, there is a degree of the product has changed, mm-hmm. and I liked what I grew up on better. Mm-hmm. But it's also just, you know, me and being in a different place. I mean, I've I've heard somebody has this theory that, like, your first 10 years as a wrestling fan, I think you could apply this to other stuff. That's what you're going to love the most, always. And it's never going to be as good after that. That seems applicable to everything I've said. And it's lots of nostalgia. It feels right for me because I started watching wrestling in late 90, but 91 was really my first year. And then by 2001, I still loved it, but it just wasn't really the same after that. Yeah. Nostalgia is always going to get bonus points to things. And, but, and some of it, too, is like I say, the styles are going to change throughout that time. You don't notice it so much in increments, but once you get 10 once years, like 15 years out, then you see the big swing, and it's like it's not quite the same as I remember it. And, and I think just the time matters, too, because, like, I mean, when I had, you know, me and my friends would watch wrestling together, and then me and my dad would watch wrestling together, it, it meant more. And then yeah. when you're not in that same environment or you don't have the time to put into it or, or there's just other things pulling you away, it, it's hard to feel the same way you did at one time. Yeah, and I, I was going to say with some stuff, too, it's not even, like, just you yourself are growing and changing, but, you know, these things have target audiences, and you just, you're no longer part of that target audience, and they're changing it to fit the new audience and whatnot, That's you know? fair, too. But that doesn't mean there's not something you can still find enjoyable well, yeah. about it, too. I'm just saying, like, clearly that's part of things changing and whatnot. And it's interesting. We've talked about my uh, top five wrestlers of all time mm-hmm. before on this show. Um, and I was thinking about the other day, I, I tried to make a top ten all time. Mm-hmm. And I came up with, in no particular order, uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Rob Van Dam, Kurt Angle. That's my all-time top five. I've mm-hmm. been very clear about that. Then uh, rounding out the top ten would be Dean Malenko, Mick Foley, Steve Austin, The Rock. Yes. And then I really struggled in this tenth spot. Uh, Chris Benoit should have been in there probably, but considering the way things end with him, there's no way I could put him on the list now. But during his career, he was definitely one of my favorites. It went back and forth on a lot of people like Ray Masira Jr., Eddie Guerrero. And there's a lot of guys who could fill that spot. But I, but I finally settled on, I'm going to put Lex Luger on there because he was my first favorite wrestler. And even through this time period we're watching now, this is about the time that I really kind of stopped being too much of a Lex Luger fan. Because, again, his ring work was never really that great, but it was definitely passable. Mm-hmm. And of course, he would join the NWO Black and uh, the NWO Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. And it's like after two years of being one of the faces of WCW, fighting against him for him to join them. Yeah, I guess technically they're baby faces, but it just felt like really that's where we're going. So I sort of fell out of favor with Lex. But in all fairness, over the course of my wrestling fandom, he was definitely there. So I'd put him in at number ten. Nice. But then I was like, let's see how that would compare to my favorite wrestlers at the time of this show. Uh huh. So in April 1998, I, I sat down and really tried to think about who my ten favorite wrestlers at the time were. Yeah. And for comparison's sake, I, I, I wrote them down, and this is what I came up with. I think it would have been Bret Hart, Ric Flair, Chris Benoit, and again, this is at this time, not, yeah. not even looking back, like who I liked best then based on, I mean, this is literally at the time who I would have said were my favorite wrestlers. Yes. Who you were a fan of as of April 22nd, 1998, roughly. And again, this is in no particular order, just the order I thought to write them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean Malenko, Mick Foley, Steve Austin... Lex Luger, Booker T, who we saw earlier, uh, Diamond Dallas Page, who we just saw clear in the ring, and uh, Bill Goldberg, who we'll see in a little while on the show, I'm pretty sure. Nice. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like The Rock's not on there, because The Rock, 
had, he, he had just started wrestling uh, in the WWF at the end of 96. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I was I, I enjoyed him in the Rocky Maivia character that a lot of people hated on, but he got injured in fairly early 97 and was gone. And then he came back and he turned heel and joined the Nation of Domination. And I didn't really like his heel character that much at the time. And, and he, he was not great in the ring. He wasn't terrible by any means, but he was not great. He would get better over time. He would be really good. He, he hadn't quite grown on yet yet. And in, fact, in fact, later in 98, he would start to have some really good matches, and that's what would really put him over with me. Mm-hmm. And I would really get into him. But at this point in 90, 1998, I couldn't say he was one of my favorite wrestlers. Reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Chris Benoit, we've talked about, horrible end to his story. And there's no way I could consider him one of my favorite wrestlers now, but that was, you know, seven years in the future at this point. He was perhaps the best wrestler in North America at the time. Yes. Um, I say as though I was there. Brett and Rick, of course, were on the all-time list. Kurt hadn't even started professional wrestling at this point, so he wouldn't have been on the list. Rob Van Dam, I was interested in. I'd been reading about him in the magazines, but I hadn't really gotten to see him wrestle yet at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean's not on the list from 98 because he was basically retired at this point. We talked about the match with him and Austin at WrestleMania 98 was his last match for four years. Yeah. So I couldn't really count him as one of my favorite wrestlers. Mick and Steve were on both lists. Um and then Booker T, DDP, and Goldberg are on this list and not on the all-time list. Um, still guys I really like, especially Booker T and DDP. Goldberg, maybe not so much. Mainly because he was just a little more of a flash in the pan. He really had one or two good years, and then that's pretty much it. And speaking of Bill, there he is on the screen. I mean, yes. he, he was the shit at this point. So much so that I even voted for him over Steve Austin for Wrestle of the Year in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Year-End Awards. Nice. Um, I see the air of my ways looking back at the time. <laughs> But he was the man then, but I mean, again, looking back, he did not really have that great of a career, and there's the issue of him basically ending Bret Hart's career, and and his subsequent comebacks in the WWF have been less than stellar, although I I did enjoy the run he had against Brock just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So, um, no hate for Goldberg, I just couldn't count him as one of my all-time favorite wrestlers at this point. I mean, if things had gone differently for him, maybe, but... Yeah. And Booker T and DDP are both guys I consider for that last spot on my all-time top 10. They'd probably make my top 15 or top 20 all-time. Um, I wasn't as as big a fan of Booker's run in the WWF as I was what he did in WCW. But mm-hmm. it wasn't even so much him, just more like how he was positioned. Which he was positioned as the top guy, but I just they played a little more into the comedy of it, with yeah. the King Booker stuff and this the supermarket fight with Austin. And um, I mean DDP just like he wrestled some in the WWF, but again it just was nowhere near anything compared to what he did in WCW. And I think his biggest legacy is more as the the founder of DDP Yoga, and so many people that he's helped through that and, and, and helping Jake the Snake Roberts get his life back on track and, and Scott Hall even for a time. So, you What's know, happening on June 8th? Uh, apparently Nitro's at Nassau Coliseum. No, that's the 15th. <laughs> uh, it'd be a week before that. So I guess they were probably talking about the... They were probably talking about a Nitro. Tickets ah. going on sale for it. Ah. Another guy with graphics. Yeah, this is Mike Enos. Uh, he and Wayne Bloom were a tag team... They were the Beverly Brothers in WWF in the 90s when I started watching wrestling. I actually liked Mike Enos. I thought he had a good look, but he never really... Did the person just take a sign and rip it? He did. It was a Bill Goldberg 75-0 and zero sign, which which may have been a bit of a specious record. Goldberg had a uh, a winning streak gimmick at this point, which certainly wasn't even true because he'd lost a few times when he first started before they got into his character. true. Well, not only that, but then once he started wrestling, they would just artificially inflate the number. It'd go from like 69 and 0 one week to 112 the next week. (laughs) 
not that dramatic, but so much so that there's no way he could have wrestled that many matches in between and, uh-huh. so, and to sort of water down the gimmick. At this point, they, it may have still been close to legitimate as far uh-huh. as the number. I'm not sure. We'd have to go back and look. But he's coming out to defend his United States Championship, which he just won on the previous Nitro from Raven, who nice. held the belt all of one day, like <laughs> Savage. And I, he, of course, gets a graphic as well. Yeah, he's going to get some pyro here in a minute, too. Nice. Pyro from TF2? Yep. There we go. I guess this is, I, before long, he would get to where he would actually stand in the pyro while it was going off. I have questions. That was a big part of his entrance gimmick, but I guess he wasn't doing that quite yet. Huh. I don't know. Real quick, I was going to say, I did look up the voice actress for Kim Possible. Her name is Christy Carlson Romano. I had the Romano right. And three <laughs> names. close. I was also going to ask, Gabba, why did you have Sweet Life on Deck pulled up oh, on your phone? I was going to mention it. Oh, you were mention about it. Because I saw it next to that, so I was like, man, Sweet Life ended into that eight. Then I was like, oh yeah, Sweet Life on Deck continued out. Am I wrong that yeah. I like Sweet Life on Deck better than Sweet Life of Zack and Cody? I like Sweet Life on Deck better because I grew up with it. I was going to say, you grew up with it. I, I'm not... I was more conscious I watched both that time. Guys, but I just, I don't know. I was going to say, going more. back, I don't know which one I'd like better. Probably Sweet Life on Deck. I'm not sure. But I remember, at least early on, I did... I, of course, still preferred just the sweet life of Zach and Cody. I mean, I, I do miss, um, what's her name? Sharpay? That was the actress's name. Um, Ashley Tisdale. Yeah, she she was on the original show and she wasn't on Sweet Life on Deck. Unless oh, she God, made some cameos. True. But most, most of the rest that's of the cast... That's probably why I preferred Sweet Life Most of the rest Zach of the cast, Cody. except for their mom, came over. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I enjoyed, um, again, I'm going to forget her name. Uh, you know, feels like a party every day. Jesse? Yeah. What's her name? Oh, um... <clears throat> oh, man, it's just... It yeah. just escaped my mind. Well, that was her first big role, was on Sweet Life One Day. Oh, uh, I know her character was Bailey. Yeah, great. Yeah, I almost called her Bailey. For, I was, I was Debbie like, Ryan. It's Bailey. Yeah, Debbie, <laughs> Debbie Ryan was awesome, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah. Um, Radio See, like, Rebel. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Oh, God, what was the other one? The, other the the one with her, it, no no it's her sixteenth birthday the movie thing that she was in I don't remember and she got all the candles that granted her wishes and stuff I wonder okay. what Debbie Wine yeah. is doing nowadays uh, I don't know she was in a series I will say if y'all want to talk ago. about this match I might want to do it quickly because this is a Goldberg match this is as close as we're going to get to a squash at this point <laughs> yeah, this is the end there's the spear and he's going to do the jackhammer which is basically a vertical suplex into a power slam interesting faces and this match will be over. Here we go. Front face lock, arm over the neck. Suplex and into a power slam. That's the jackhammer. Leg is hooked. One, two, on three. Little Nate Maybe. Charles Robinson makes the count, and this match is over. Goldberg retains the United States Championship, which he would continue to hold until he wins the World Championship from Hollywood Hulk Hogan in the summer. And then I think they would you know, do a tournament or whatever to crown a new U.S. champion because you don't need both your belts on one guy. Yeah. Hey, speaking of both your belts on one guy, I know we're basically looking back, but we need to talk about something modern going on. Apparently, this past week on Raw, they made a big announcement, and they, in this case, was Triple H. Uh, We've got the WWE Draft coming up, which is a semi-annual event for them where they split the rosters up. Uh-huh. To supposedly have one roster on SmackDown and one on Raw. They've done it before. They did it originally back in 2002. And, and like I said, they used to do it every year where they'd reshuffle the rosters. Mm-hmm. And they would stick to it, sort of. But people would still cross over. But they're bringing it back again this year. 
Right. And Triple H made the announcement that Roman Reigns, who of course is the WWE Universal and WWE Champion, is going to go to one brand or the other. And when he does, he's going to take his championship with him, but the other brand is going to crown a brand new champion. All right. And uh, he revealed a new title belt and announced that this is going to be the new world champion. And I wanted to get your guys' opinion both on what's going on in storyline, but also just the belt itself. I have some pictures of it. Maybe I'll share them oh, on our social belt media. To judge. But you've probably seen them now. I actually like this belt. It, it's not great. Uh-huh. But it's definitely better than the belts Roman's carrying. Um, it, it has that annoying WWE logo stamped in the middle again, <laughs> but it's much smaller, and the belt around it is a little, uh, a little more ornate. So I definitely like it better. It's not a great belt, but it's definitely a step up. So before we talk about what this means in storyline and and as far as the title lineage and whatnot, what do you guys just think of the actual belt? Dylan, you want to get in here and take a look at it? It looks pretty nice, pretty ornate. It looks 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 too gold. It looks like it's somewhat inspired by the big gold belt that we saw Mm -hmm. Owen with earlier. Maybe. But with that annoying WWE stamp in the middle. (laughs) uh, The side plates are squared off but they have like a round plate in the middle which I like a round side plate on a belt so I like that the fact they at least have the round plate in the center of it if not the entirely round plate yeah overall I think this is one of the better looking belts in WWF at the moment WWE I'm sorry it it looks similar to the Intercontinental Championship not so much like it looks like a clone of it but it looks like they're part of the same series of belts so Mm -hmm. maybe that's a clue that that the Intercontinental Champion and the future world champion are going to end up on the same show maybe Maybe not. Who knows? But um, I like this. I like this belt much better than the Intercontinental Championship, and I definitely like it better than the the championships Roman's got. Nice. So it's cool to see the belt itself. I'm a fan of it. Like I say, it's not one of my all time favorites or anything. But it's better than some of the ones we've seen. Definitely. But uh, I'll, I, we also wonder what this is going to mean, you know, in Carolina storyline wise. Um, yeah. I thought at first when I read about this, somebody had actually written that this was going to be the new WWE champion. And uh, technically, that's the belt that Cody should be wanting to win because that would be the belt that, you know, they stole from his daddy in the garden. Mm-hmm. Because the WWE Championship would be the one that goes back to the uh, original formation of the company back to when Buddy Rogers dropped the championship to Bruno San Martino. That's the belt that would become, you know, it would be the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Championship and then the World Wrestling Federation Championship and then the WWE Championship. Mm-hmm. And that would be the one and only World Championship in the World Wrestling Federation until 2001 when they bought WCW and the WCW championship came over and for a while they were defended as two separate world championships until they were unified at the un, was it unforgiven Armageddon the Armageddon pay-per-view in December 2001 when Chris Jericho became the first ever undisputed champion essentially unifying the WCW and the WWF championships and then um after Triple H won that championship from him they would have a single belt representing you've seen it. it's, it's the it's the belt that's about the same size as the belt I just showed you, the, the fairly basic black one with the front. We did it on our um, Tear Maker special when we did the yeah. wrestling belts. But that was then the single WWE championship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brock Lesnar would be the champion with that belt uh, in during the first brand split in 2002. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they, they did an angle where Stephanie McMahon signed in to be exclusive to SmackDown, so Raw was left without a world champion. So... Um, in the wake of that, Eric Bischoff came out and presented Triple H with the big gold belt, which we saw Hogan Sting. carrying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he didn't present him with Sting. Yeah, no, no, I'm commentating on what's happening <laughs> but, um, in the show. Here you go, Sting! <laughs> he, gave him the, he gave him the big gold belt Passes that we saw Hogan Sting. carrying and announced it as being the world championship. Uh-huh. It wasn't the WCW championship, it was just the world championship. It was like a new title with a new lineage that started there with just him gifting it to Triple H. Yeah. And so we would carry on with those two championships, and they would both have their own history during that 
that time until they were unified, I believe, in uh, the fall of 2013. I think John Cena had one of the belts and Randy Orton had the other one. Mm-hmm. And that was the dual championship that um, Brian Danielson would win at WrestleMania 30. And we would continue with that being the single WWF championship, which for all intents and purposes maintained the lineage of the WWE championship and I guess the WCW world championship as well. Until August 2017, I believe, when they introduced the Universal Championship, which Finn Balor won in a tournament final over Seth Rollins. Yeah. And it was actually the Universal Championship that Roman Reigns has held for the last almost thousand, just over a thousand days. Because he didn't win the WWE Championship until he beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania uh, 2022. So he's got both championships, but technically the one he's had the longest reign with is the Universal Championship. So, I, you know, I did think at first maybe they were splitting off just the WWE Championship and then they could say, oh, well, that's the belt Cody should be chasing. So that's how they were going to get away with Cody not being Roman and then he was going to win this championship. But it looks like Roman is going to continue the lineage of both the Universal Championship and the much more storied lineage of the WWE Championship. So it seems like Cody, if they're going to finish the story properly, is going to end up beating Roman. So for that championship, um, meanwhile, I don't know who's going to end up with this championship, but it does feel a bit like a consolation prize. It's like, nobody could beat Roman, so here's the belt we got for all the guys who couldn't beat Roman. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's going to be Cody who ends up winning that belt. Now, I could see a scenario where Cody does win that belt in the interim, and it just becomes a short-term championship, and eventually he unifies it with Roman Reigns' other championships. Uh-huh. But I doubt they're going to take the time to make the new belt and everything for that, unless they're just going to continue with just that belt representing the entire title lineage. But hopefully that's not what's going to happen. Um... It's a little bit of a downer, too. They're going to crown the first champion at the uh, premium live event in Saudi Arabia, which with Saudi Arabia's history of human rights violations and murdering journalists, I, I hate the WWE has an association with them. But to their credit, I mean, they signed like a 10-year deal with them or something. I don't know if they can really get out of it, but yeah. they never should have gotten in bed, with, in bed with them to begin with. So that's still their fault. So there's going to be a little bit of a stand on whoever the first champion is just for that fact. Um, and then again, look, Maybe it could be Cody. Maybe they're not ever going to have him beat Roman. And this is not only a consolation prize, but his consolation prize. Maybe. Um, the one thing that I always think about, too, is Triple H came out and in announcing the new championship. He pointed out that Roman has a contract that allows him to work a lighter schedule. Because everybody knows that Roman was working toward a lighter schedule, even before WrestleMania. That's why it seemed obvious that Cody was going to beat him. And he's like, you know, hey, that's great for Roman. I don't blame him, but that's not good for the WWE. And so we're going to have a new champion for the brand that doesn't get Roman who will defend the championship anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Almost sound like he's talking about the 24-7 championship. <laughs> but, um, oh, God, that belt. It's like that was part of the justification for them making a new championship because Roman's going to have a lighter schedule and they need somebody to defend the championship altogether. And, and all I'm thinking when I'm reading about this is, you know what the simple answer for that would have been? Let Cody win the fucking belt at <laughs> WrestleMania like he should have done. I mean, I've gone on record with y'all. We didn't talk about much in the podcast. I think that was a horrible way to finish WrestleMania. Yeah. Just left everybody flat. They built up toward, you know, finish the story with Cody, and then that's how they finish it. And Triple H wants to come out in the press conference and say, well, you know, the story never ends at WWE, but that's bullshit. The story does end at some point and then transitions to a new part. Even if you're going to end that chapter, you need to have a satisfying ending to move on to the next thing. Because right now yeah. we're left with, you know, just more of the same. And now, oh, Cody's chasing again, and Roman's just beating everybody in his wake again. I mean, like, yeah. great. I mean, that- At some point in time, everybody's stories do come to an end. And with the whole chapters, you know, you got to kind of close one chapter if you want to go into another chapter and not just restart <clears> the <throat> chapter. Right. Or like I was talking about with the NWO, you don't necessarily have to end it, but you have to transition to something mm-hmm. new. And I mean, that could have been 
you know, great for the bloodline. They could have been even more dangerous with the Usos losing the tag team titles and Roman losing the championship. He would have been even more dangerous, like an animal backed into a corner, you know? Yeah. Now that you've hurt me, I'm going to be even more dangerous. And it could have given a fresh uh, coat of paint to his character. But instead, we just get more of the same. And now we get this weird bit with the championship. But I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, it, it, it's going to hurt whoever the first champion is for a while because there's no history with the title and they're winning it in Saudi Arabia. But they do have a chance to establish a lineage and establish a history. And over time, if it stays around and they do good stuff with it, it'll mean something. But to start with, it's like, eh. Yeah. All these people coming in. But it's like, yeah, like everybody's just jumping in. Why are the rest of the <laughs> They're being chased out. Well, yeah, Sting was wrestling Scott Steiner, and Rick came in, and he's chased his brother Scott off because they're in the middle of a feud. That's Conan and, of course, Scott Norton, who we saw earlier, are both members of the NWO. What's Although, in- interestingly, doing? Conan's going to end up being part of the Wolf Pack, I'm pretty sure, which Sting is also going to join. The referee's in the corner again. He, but I guess, why but I guess, is he just standing there? Right now, he's still part of the Black and White, and here's uh, the big show, who at this point I don't think is associated with the NWO. He was a heel in WCW, then he joined the NWO, then he was a babyface for WCW, and sometime this year he's going to join the NWO Black and White again, but at this point he's he's uh, saving Sting, unless he ends up choke slamming him here. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, That is a big dude, too. Like, I I didn't see him up close in person, but even just seeing him in the arena, he is a large drink of water. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's legitimately seven feet tall, seven one. (laughs) South Carolina boy, too. Nice. But anyway, uh... You guys want to know, according to the Wikipedia he page... Most of his, not most, but a good person of his face fate. What about the Wikipedia page? Uh, according to the Wikipedia page, what Debbie Ryan's first role was... Uh-huh. On Bonnie. Ah, she's a Bonnie kid. All in love. You uh, Selena Gomez, another Disney star. Her first, Maybe not her first role, but she was originally on Bonnie. I believe Demi Lovato was another Bonnie kid. So many kids she's not on Bonnie. Been, don't look at me. I don't know. I could be incorrect, but I'm, pre- well, yeah, I'm pretty sure she was. And that. I've always heard that her and Selena Gomez were really close friends. I was like 15 when Bonnie started. Come point. on, I wasn't watching it. Uh, I've also heard that, I think it was Camp Rock. Disney wanted to give the role to Selena to Gomez. Barney? <laughs> to Selena Gomez. You want a rock? I want a rock. Selena Gomez knew that if she didn't get the role that it was going to go to Demi Lovato, who supposedly hadn't had her big break at the point, so she turned down the role so that Demi Lovato yeah, would get it. And of course, they were both in Princess Protection had. Plan. Yeah, like, well, he's been wrestling. Yeah, I, I, I figured, I I figured that paint. would happen. No, I think that, that just happened face with, uh, with face paint. This is not my favorite. This is the crow sting when he spent the year and a half in the rafters not talking and just waiting to get a shot at Hogan. I, I like the multicolor sting with the blonde crew cut. I think you guys have probably seen it. I know you've seen it at some point when I've had wrestling. I don't know if we watched the show from back. We have because we, I know we watched the first ever Clash of the Champions I saw back in the fall of 1990 and Sting would have been on it in that look. And the, the, the occasion mismatched colors whole, on his uh, outfit. This, this entire match I've just been watching the TV like, damn, Sting looks good. <laughs> like that's been my thought this all this is match. attitude sting sting is still active he, he really? wrestles for AEW now yeah damn. 60 some years old I mean he's not wrestling every night no we don't have TNT damn it or t- they're, well they're on TBS now ah oh. I think they have some show on TV. I think they have the uh, quarterly annual specials nice. big show running the ropes for no reason just cause he can't so Sting is one of the ones who's still around. Like, yeah, you and go, man. Big Show is still part of AEW. He doesn't wrestle. He's been more of an announcer, and I don't know what he does now, but they're both with AEW. But Sting is still actively competing every now and then. Nice. 
the copyright gets gets a graphic. <laughs> Man, that, that, like best buds thank goodness in the, the copyright wasn't black or disco inferno <laughs> there's like best buds in the ring though yeah. honestly a whole series of they would end up they would, they would end up winning the tag team up. championship together at the slam Bree pay-per-view and then uh big show would turn on sting and that's <gasps> when he would join the nwo the best buds the hot plate they hugged look man friendship i know that was like the wrestling. most no, most gentlest wrestling. wrestling i've ever seen just like I, I don't know something about a hug. They hug. Very not wrestling, but very nice. They're best buds. I could watch a whole like twelve season comedy show about. I, them. I thought you you were gonna say you could just watch them hug for like twelve minutes. So Sting comes to the womb, and big and starts talking a big show. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and I'm not a writer for sitcoms. You're not a writer. We saw Big Show sitcom. Remember, we had that family sitcom. That, that I remember what it was uh, yeah. on Netflix. God, what was, was it Netflix? Called? Was it the Big Show? Yeah, it was Big Show, like show or something like I that. I liked it. It was cute. It was it was kind of Disneyish, a little more yeah, for a younger audience, but it was fine. I don't for see that. It, it very much fit in with some Disney stuff. Sting did not appear. I remember Mick Foley was on it, and Rikishi and Mark Henry. Plus Sting. That's a son. That's a son's hilarious. Those are roommates. Uh, really quickly, Lexi, before we sign off here as the show has come to a close, this show, of course, happened on April 22nd, 1998, and we've talked about the uh, the previous night show from April 20th and the pay-per-view on April 19th, your negative third birthday. <laughs> yes. Um, but on April 18th, 1998, and technically April 19th as well, but the uh, annual NFL draft was going on. Uh-huh. Where uh, college players selected to play for NFL teams. Guess who the number one pick of the NFL draft was that year? Who? You should know. Was it Peyton? It was Peyton Manning. <laughs> nice. The number one pick out of the University of Tennessee going to the Indianapolis Colts for the 1998 NFL Draft on April 18th, 1998 was Peyton Manning. Nice. Probably your all-time favorite football player. Yes. Of My favorite football player Yes, of all time. Not back then, though, because you were, you were not born. <laughs> no. I like the ball. Nice. Barry Sanders is my all-time favorite football player. I mean, the ball does so much work. It has to get kicked but to be all fair, day, not just, all day. There's not just one ball. I was going to say, like, I'm pretty like sure there's There's like a nice. dozen for each game, nah, so it's not use, the same one. They use one ball for every football game. <laughs> I think it would have been one out by now. Well, there's not dozens of us. There's only three of us. And we thank you for joining us here on this edition of LexiCon Podcast. Please come back next time when the conversation will continue. Uh, but until then, I am and will continue to be Maddie. Lexi. Dylan. And this is Lexi Concluded. Bye. Bye.